Hello, and welcome to the Space Weather Facts and Forecast podcast. I'm Isaac Brigman, amateur space weather enthusiast, and I'll be giving you the current space weather conditions, a forecast for the upcoming week, and telling you all about fascinating space weather phenomena. Stay tuned. Wow, what an active past week we have had. First of all, we had two major active regions, numbers 3088 and 3089, that were both spewing out one M flare after another. Sadly, however, we really only received glancing blows from their associated CMEs due to the region's locations, and Aurora stayed, for the most part, at higher latitudes. But then we had a perfectly positioned coronal hole and its high-speed stream hit Earth directly on the nose. Somewhat surprisingly, this sparked KP6 conditions and brought Aurora down into the northern USA. And these conditions held for a very long time, with storming going on for over 24 hours. Now as to the forecast, I expect things on the sun to be quiet for the next day or two. We have eight numbered active regions on the Earth-facing disk, but they are all small and have simple magnetic layouts, unlikely to explode. I would say, however, that isolated sea flares, most likely from region 3096, are not unlikely. In fact, one is in progress now, as that region seems to have the potential to grow and to increase in complexity. It will be in two to three days, though, that I expect things to change. This will be when region 3088 returns over the east limb. When it left us at the end of August, it had a very strong and complex beta-gamma-delta magnetic layout and was firing out M-flares. Far side maps, maps that attempt to show magnetic activity on the far side of the sun, have shown it still going strong for the last week. Plus, we saw a spectacular far-sided CME that was launched a few days back and it seems very probable that this was in relation to an upper M, or even an X flare, from region 3088. So in a couple days, once this region returns, we can likely expect a major uptick in activity. Nothing, however, is a guarantee, as we have limited data about the sun's far side, and it is not impossible that the region decayed during its transit. As for coronal holes, there are no holes of note facing or about to face Earth. We will just have to wait for more to emerge around the east limb. The current geomagnetic conditions are fairly quiet. We're at a KP3, and the solar wind speed is 445 kilometers a second. BZ seems to be flipping back and forth between the positives and negatives, and the rest of the solar wind data is average to low. All this is making for a moderately low hemispheric power, at 31 gigawatts in the north and 32 in the south. With this data, far northern areas may have a decent shot at seeing the lights, but the chances are low or anywhere further south. There are no major events in the forecast at this time. However, this may likely change in a few days as region 3088 starts to reappear. It is worth mentioning though, that despite the fact it should reappear in only two to three days, It will take another three to four days before it enters the Earth strike zone, 
and only then will any CMEs it launches be directed at Earth. So for Aurora chasers, likely you'll have to wait for up to a week before things start happening. But once they do, and assuming they do, because nothing's a given, even those at mid-latitudes will likely want to start monitoring the activity and watch for chances. Thanks for listening to the forecast. Now it's time to talk about this week's featured space weather phenomena. In this podcast, I'll be talking about the KP Index and answering a few common questions, such as what it is, how it's measured, and what some of its uses are. So the KP Index is a scale from 0 to 9 that gives an estimate of the current geomagnetic activity. KP is an acronym, so the K stands for the German word Kenzifer, meaning characteristic digit, and the P stands for planetary, since the index is an estimation for the whole planet. The index was brought into use by Julius Bartel in 1939. While magnetometers, which are devices that measure the strength of Earth's magnetic field, while they were already in use at the time to measure the magnetic activity at specific locations on Earth, it was a large advancement to be able to express the geomagnetic activity for all of Earth. The scale, again from 0 to 9, is divided into four main categories. Quiet, 0 to 2, Unsettled, 3, Active, 4, and Storm, 5 to 9. And within the Storm category are five levels, and they range from Minor Storm, Kp equals 5, to Extreme Storm, Kp equals 9. KP index is derived from magnetometer data from across the world. Magnetometers measure Earth's magnetic field strength at their location in NT nanoteslas, and based on the current deviation from 0 NT, the magnetometer reports a K value. This K value uses the exact same scale as the KP, but it is only applicable for the magnetometer's location. The KP index is then calculated by averaging the current K values of 13 chosen magnetometers around the world. This gives a geomagnetic activity estimate for the whole globe. The KP index is useful in many ways. For example, technology companies can use it to assess whether precautions need to be taken to protect the tech, most notably power grids and satellites as damage can start to occur as the KP moves into the high storm levels. It should be noted, however, that it is quite rare for the KP to surpass 7, and only then would technology be potentially threatened. The KP is also an excellent indicator to aurora chasers whether it's worth going out to check for the lights. Normally, the KP index roughly determines how far south the aurora is descending. If the KP is in the low range, like from 0 to 3, the aurora likely can only be seen in the Arctic. Once the index reaches 4, things can start to pick up, with the lights descending into the mid to lower parts of a lot of Canadian provinces, especially the prairies, where the auroral oval dips south some. And at a KP5, the aurora will likely be visible to much of Canada. If a 6 is reached, shows can start to be seen in many northern US states, and as the value increases, the auroral oval will descend even lower, with a KP9 having the potential to be seen throughout the US. If the KP is high, however, it is not at all a given that the aurora will be visible at lower latitudes. There are many other factors that control where the aurora can be seen, 
such as the solar wind speed, density, interplanetary magnetic field strength, and especially the BZ direction. So in short, all the data should really be consulted before going out to chase the aurora. And as the KP is simply derived from magnetometer data, all the solar wind aspects, like speed, density, IMF strength and direction, affect it. If the solar wind data is poor, Earth's magnetic field will not react to it much, magnetometers will not pick up much, and a low KP will result. But if the solar wind data is strong, it will cause the magnetic field of Earth to strongly react, and the KP will climb. As the solar wind data is unknown until it reaches and is measured by the Discover satellite, which is around 30 to 60 minutes upstream of Earth, depending on the solar wind speed, the KP is extremely difficult to forecast with any accuracy past about an hour out. So even if a high KP is in the forecast, you'll have to wait to see what actually develops before rushing outside to see the aurora. Or in other words, to avoid disappointment, expect little. Be prepared for much. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe and share it. This podcast will be available on the second Saturday of every month on major podcast platforms. See you next time.